This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Joyful, joyful. Lounge on Joy 94.9. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and sexuality for our community. And you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 and welcome along. Tonight you're with Mark and welcome back to Claudine. Hello, thank you. It's a bit of a revolving door. We, um, we're missing Rachel this week, but I'm back. Well, you know, one in, one out at the moment, it seems a little bit, but anyhow. We'll, we'll get the whole gang back together at- some stage, maybe? We'll see how we go. <laughs> we'll see how we go. So, welcome back. And welcome to tonight's show. So, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about um, a, a festival that's happening this week in a holiday of the week. And we're also going to talk about NADOC Week, which, of course, has been happening all week and is an important part of the Australian landscape these days. So, we don't have the theme song for holiday. Do you want to sing, Claudine? No, I'm not going to sing. No, really? We really, no. <laughs> we really oh. don't want to, to do that. And look, from somebody who wasn't allowed in the massed choir at secondary school, I don't think it's a good idea that I sing. So we will go straight into our holiday of the week without any singing. Um, and um, hopefully when Rachel comes back, she can sing for everybody. So the, the the greeting that we should say, now I'm going to probably mispronounce this, but let's have a go. Ied Mubarak. So it's Ied? Ied? Ied Mubarak? Maybe? See? Maybe. Let's I'm go with it. Picking, picking it up. So it's the festival of Id al-Fatir. Fatir? However. Anyhow. Uh, so it celebrates the end of Ramadan. That's what we're celebrating. Uh, so Ramadan has been going on for 29 or 30 days. I'm not sure which one it is this year. It does vary a little bit, um, which is, a, is, is an Islamic festival. So at the end of Ramadan, we have this festival called Id al-Fatir, which celebrates the end. It's a day of feasting. So there's um, one big thing that you need to do today, and that's, or not today, during this festival. Yesterday? I think it, I think I think it, was it might yesterday. have been yesterday. Yeah. But it does go from one to three days, depending on where you are and to which particular um, tradition you follow. Yeah, but the big thing is that you're forbidden to eat. So it's a day of eating. So um, for those of you who may not know what Ramadan is about, Ramadan is uh, the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. Um, and it's... It's the f- the month in which um, Muslims believe that the Quran was revealed through the prof- Prophet Muhammad. So for that period of time, uh, Muslim people fast from dawn to sunset. So during the day they don't eat, um, which is a big ask. It's a. I don't think they even drink water. I think that's allowed. I'm not sure. We will need to find that out. Well, I had I had um, Muslim people in the office, and I, and that's what they were saying. No, not even a drink of water. That's right. You're right. So it says, whilst fasting from dawn to sunset, Muslims refrain from consuming food, drinking liquids, smoking, and engaging in sexual relations. Um, so it, it's it's talk of, it, 
the, the idea is to refrain from any sinful behavior that may negate the reward of fasting. So you're not allowed to curse anybody or be insult, insult people or fight. Um, and food and drink, so the, the practice is that you would eat before dawn and then um, after dawn. Now, a lot of people who live in Melbourne would know along Sydney Road, apparently it's quite something to go out during Ramadan just after dark. Um, and lots of people out there eating lots of good food. It's quite a celebration. I think the the um, the iftar, the breaking of the fast in the evening, it's something that um, you know, it's a community thing that you you all get together and and eat. Um, even you know, even more so than usual, it's it's like celebrating the the breaking of the fast together. Which sounds really lovely, especially given it's a it's not something that you just do once. It has lots of things, so it gathers the community, which is always is nice to to have. So. Um, uh, Id al-Fatar is the end of Ramadan, so it's the day where you um, have day or up to three days, depending on where you are, um, where you would come together as a as a group and have a big um, meal. Um, and it depends where you are. There's some there's lots of different customs. I've had a look on the internet. In some countries, in the run up to this festival, it's um, a lot of shopkeepers will give gifts with purchase as part of getting ready for the celebration. Um, certainly charity is um, part of the celebration. So there's a uh, there's a practice of giving, of performing charity, giving to the poor um, before the prayers are recited for um, Eid al-Fatah. Um, so it, it seems like a bit of a, an all-round feast and festival. Now, according to uh, the internet... Um, this Sunday there will be a big celebration in Broadmeadows. Don't know much else about it, but it was mentioned that that seems to be where the Islamic community gathers um, to celebrate this great festival. So that's been our Holy Day of the Week. It's uh, certainly it's a great way to sort of start talking about, because we're going to talk about NADOC Week in a little bit, but which is also about community. It's, just, it's nice to have these festivals which are all about community and being part of community. Um, which is something we have in the gay community in terms of having, you know, our midsummer festival is obviously a good example of where we gather as a community, and there's a, you know, there's a couple of big days that sort of gather that. So, in a secular sense, but also it mirrors what happens in a spiritual sense. And in a way, it's it's nice to, um, you know, we'll be talking about the sort of oldest communities in in this country, but it's nice to also start off talking about some of the newer newer um, communities that have have formed in Australia and are bringing the um, the their own Australian flavour to to is Islam and Islamic practices. I mean, for um, other unrelated reasons, I was I I was going down one of the internet rabbit trails this week and and this um, learning about the halal snack pack, which um, I had never known about because it's primarily made out of meat, and I'm not a meat eater. But um, hearing it's it's um I think it's basically meat and cheese and potato chips, which is uh, I guess a, a an Australian um, approach to to um, to Muslim food or uh, in in strongly Muslim communities, but it's um, you know I was reading that it's not something you would come come across you know, in Turkey or Saudi Arabia. It's a uniquely Australian um, approach to <laughs> to halal food. We must be going down the same internet rabbit warren because I have to admit I re- I read the same thing too. Not. Um, not having a lot of contact with the Islamic community, it was really interesting to read about 
it seems to be a practice that's in terms of supporting the Muslim community by partaking in food that is a halal, but it's also it's it's a bit of a local custom. And the other, I was also as one does on the internet, going down little rabbit warrens this week. But I was reading an interesting article, and it was talking about how long Muslims have been in Australia. Um, now, I can't remember the exact date, but the first mosque was built in South Australia in something like 1860 or somewhere, like very, very early on. Because, of course, one of the first large groups of Muslims to come were the Afghan traders. Mm. Um, and so we have the, the rail line, it's still called the Ghan, in re- memory of those people. And certainly it's really interesting to go to... Um, Sort of, I visited Broken Hill some couple of years ago, and there's a very large Muslim part, a very old and very large Muslim part of the Broken Hill Cemetery, which is um, captures that history of how long Muslim and Islamic people have been in Australia and and part of Australian life. So, and and that's where camels come from. And you the camels. Yeah, and you may have seen around Melbourne some of these posters about. um, I think it is, and one of these. Afghan camel traders with the you know the word Aussie under his name and it re- really makes you think about how realize how um you know Muslim people have been in Australia a lot longer than people realize so it's um I think that's been a good awareness raising exercise so it's it's been controversial of course but um sadly every as as we were saying earlier that a lot of um things involving Muslims are um controversial for the wrong reasons these days in in Australia but um, it's a. Uh, I think it's you know it's at this time of year we should, especially we should just be saying um, welcome and and uh, wishing a wishing Eid Mubarak to our to our Muslim friends. Absolutely. And as we've said, it's Nadoc Week this week, and that was the song Kuri Woman by Tidus, which is a Kuri word meaning sisters. Tidus was a three-piece group active in the 1990s, comprising. Amy Saunders, Lou Bennett and Sally Dusty, all Korean women from Victoria who've had their own musical careers, but uh, they were active in, for only a decade, um, I think released three albums in that time and have that, had their own careers as, as well outside of, outside of that. Excellent. So it is NADOT week and you're on the Spirit Lounge. So we're going to talk about, I would say to Claudine, you know, I've been um, celebrating NADOT week for uh, a long time um, primarily in my professional life, but I said to Claudine, I actually don't know. I was really embarrassed. I was thinking about it. I don't know what NADOC stands for. And I was thinking, this is really kind of embarrassing when, you know, I've been to lots of different things and really enjoyed it, but actually don't know what it stands for. So nobody actually says, this is NADOC week and this is what it stands for. Well, usually we, it's more focused on what the theme of NADOC Week is about and, you know, uh, it might depend on who we, who, sometimes we have guest people coming in to talk to us as a group or depending on what it is. So we're more focused on the individual or what, what the actual activity is rather than actually what NADOC Week is about. So it's probably a good place to start about what is NADOC Week and what does NADOC stand for? I knew it was an acronym, um, but I didn't even know what it stands for. So the acronym is, I'm just trying to... National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. You can sort of see why nobody really remembers. It's it's a bit of a, it's it's a bit um, of a heavy title. 
It is a heavy title, and it's a committee. It's just the name of the committee. Yeah, and I think it's it's you know, it, it was a committee, and and so, uh, for some reason it's it's become. Um, you know, they've always had this this week of celebration since I think the nineteen twenties, and it's, it's yeah. and then that's become the 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 name of the week has eclipsed the um, memory of of the committee, I suppose. But I'm sure there still is a NADOC or a NADOC week committee, which. There is a NADOC, yes, you're right. Yep. There is definitely <laughs> still a NADOC. Yeah, so because uh, I always thought it must have been an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander word. I just assumed oh, that right. it was, not thinking that... It's actually an acronym. An ac- it's actually an acronym. So it's so that's what NADOC week, that's what NADOC stands for. So a- as we said, NADOC is a week to celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. And it has a theme, a different theme every year? It does have a different theme every year. Year, and this year's theme is Songlines, the Living Narrative of Our Nation. So um, I'll read a little bit of the spiel that's come off the NADOC website. Um, it's always good to go to the source to talk about what it is. So, uh, as we said, Songlines, the Living Narrative of Our Nation. So, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the dream time describes a time when the earth, people, and animals were created by our ancestral spiritual beings. They created the rivers, lakes, plants, land formations and living creatures. Dreaming tracks crisscross Australia and trace the journeys of our ancestral spirits as they created the land, animals and laws. These dreaming tracks are sometimes called songlines as they record the travels of these ancestral spirits who sung the land into life. These songlines are recorded in traditional songs, stories, dance and art and carry significant cult, spiritual and cultural connection to knowledge, customs, ceremony, and law of many Aboriginal nations and Torres Strait Islander groups. So it's that's that's where it's sort of coming from, is about this understanding of songlines, which is something that, if you're not part of the Aboriginal community, you probably would be like, oh, is that about a song? Well, the song has a connection back to the spirituality of Aboriginal nations and Aboriginal people, but it also connects into the land. It's a very... Like a lot of religions, it's very much connected back to the cycle of the earth, which is very intrinsic to all our lives when we're when we, we live on earth. So it's it's part of our life. So um, looking at you know uh, how songlines um, a little bit more about what they say about it is it, it they talk about songlines as being maps of the land, the sea, and the country, describing how. Travel and trade routes, locations of waterfalls, the presence of food. Um, and then this is a part that I thought was really lovely. It says, songlines on Earth are mirrored by sky songlines, which allowed people to navigate the vast distances of this nation and its waters. So it's, a, it's, it's mirrored across, so it connects the uh, sky, if you like, or the other with the Earth. So it's that very much that connection, which I find really quite a strong sort of it, it 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 resonates with me quite well. Um, so the extensive network of songlines can vary in length from a few kilometres to hundreds of kilometres, crossing through traditional country of many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander language groups. For example, the Seven Sisters songline covers more than half the widths of the continent, from deep in the central desert out to the west coast, while others connect the Gulf of Carpentaria with the snowy rivers near mountains, uh, near Canberra rather. So it's about connecting country and tribal groups. And, you know, as, as Rachel and I did last week, and we, we, we did an acknowledgement of country because where the Joy Studios are located, that's on the, 
the traditional lands of the Rwandari people of the Kulon Nation, um, and so that's the that's the the traditional lands that were the, the people who lived in what is now Melbourne's CBD. Um, oh, it's actually far greater than just Melbourne's CBD. Um, you know, the traditional nations go for quite some time, quite some distance. But it's also, I think that picks up that when we talk about an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, it's not a homogenous mm. culture. It's, it's very much about different groups and similarities between groups that are close to each other. But if you took a, a tribal group from far north Queensland and, say, compared it to the practice of, of say, the Gunditjmara people, which are based down near Warrnambool, it's quite a different culture. It's part of one... There will be connectedness and there'll be similarities, but they're quite distinctly different given the distance. Aren't there, you know, hundreds of language groups on this continent? There is hundreds of language groups. Um, It's really interesting. I have a poster on my wall at work that talks about. um, It's it's actually talking about the the nations of 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 Aboriginal Australia, um, and then it groups it into different areas. And it's quite it's it's quite a colourful map of Australia because it's quite a lot and and you're even though it's sort of mapped out and looks all very neat um, people who know a lot more than me tell me that that's sort of a representation but there were certainly crossover points and and boundaries moved obviously over time but just depending on how the two groups were interacting with each other so um, yeah so it's really it's quite interesting so uh, going back to the NADOC theme for this year which is Songlines the living narrative of our nation it goes on to talk about Torres Strait Islander group people who are distinct to Aboriginal people. So it says, through songs, art and dance and ceremony, Torres Strait Islanders also maintain creation stories which celebrate their connection to land and sea. Song lines have been passed down for thousands of years and are central to the existence of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. They, they are imperative to the preservation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural practices. And so the, the theme of the theme is inviting Australians, all of us, as one large group of people, which is certainly not homogenous by any stretch of the imagination, to learn a little bit more about the Indigenous culture of Australia and their traditions and folklore and all that sort of stuff so that we understand much more about this, this nation that we all coexist in. And we'll certainly be doing that tonight with some of the, some of the songs that we're playing tonight. So we're talking about NADOC Week on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. And if you'd like to join the conversation, do send us a text on 0427 JOY 949. Email us on air at joy.org.au or if you've got the smartphone app, just use the contact button there. You're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 where we're talking about NADOC Week and uh, some of the Indigenous... um, spirituality and experiences and we just heard Archie Roach with Down City Streets and Archie Roach was um, a Victorian Indigenous man born in Marupna in northern Victoria and he was removed from his family as a young child and his songs such as Down City Streets and Took the Children Away described some of those experiences as a member of the Stolen Generations. So in the last segment we were talking about this week, uh, this this year's NADOC week theme of song lines and about traditional indigenous stories and spirituality, but the I guess the other side of that is you know, in the last two hundred and so years um, since the arrival of 
most uh, primarily white people and with it uh, Christianity that's um, as we all know I think has been a huge um, disruption and really turning turning the um, world of Indigenous Australians upside down and that's something that on Spirit Lounge as um, as non-Indigenous people who represent um, some of these other religions that's something that um, as non-Indigenous people living in Australia is something that we need to um, look at look at seriously and and um, thinking about how we relate to to this um, history of of um, whether we call it invasion or dispossession. Yeah, and it's interesting how it plays out in the more modern society. So, um, as a young adult, I was friends with an an, a, a, an Aboriginal guy um, who sadly passed away. And so his funeral was one of these places where you could see that real clash of um, colonisation as opposed to Indigenous culture. So, where, where was it? Uh, so he, um, he grew up down in the southwest of Victoria, but his family were, f- his traditional family, or his Aboriginal family rather is a better term, were forcibly moved from Broome in Western Australia and put on... Um, one of the mission, uh, the Framlingham mission, down in the southwest of Victoria. So he he had, and his his father had married a, um, a, a non-indigenous woman. So his funeral, um, which was really sad for lots of other reasons, being such a young person, but was a real cultural clash. So the, and you could really feel the tension. So he had a very traditional Roman Catholic funeral, which was quite. Even by Roman Catholic standards, it was very traditional. And then we walked to the local cemetery, which, as you do in that part of the world, and um, they did a Roman Catholic uh, burial rite. And then all the women were asked to leave the cemetery grounds, the entire grounds. So we stood and waited till everyone had literally left the grounds. And then it was men's business, and it was a traditional Aboriginal burial, which was men's business. So it was really interesting. And that caused some rupture. There, there were some people who were quite found that quite confronting. Um, and it was really it was a difficult because you could see how his um, paternal family really wanted to honour this young person and honour him as a he was he would have you know come from he would have become from my understanding he would have become an elder of his traditional community of his Aboriginal community, uh, given his, his his father was, but um, sadly died very young so it's it was really interesting to see how the two didn't really gel together very well it was a really interesting as a young person myself and and quite an experience it's it's really left a lasting impression um and it was like to me it was a great honor to be part of men's business it was really quite something that's really burnt into my memory so yeah so the um i mean as you know that's it's something that we you know some of us who grew up in Australia will have learned in school to varying extent about the the history of um of indigenous Australians and conflicts with um white settlers and the role that religion and and churches and missionaries have have had in that and and I think there's what you've described as one of the uh, as one example of the many ways that this um the the sort of coexistence or um maybe coexistence is not always the right word of traditional and um 
I guess, imported spirituality in in families and and in indigenous communities. And there's um, I know somebody who's who's been part of a church for a long time and who's got a lot of uh, you know, got a lot of friends in the Uniting Church. I've been watching with interest how how that church has been saying a lot of things and and um, trying to to sort out its its history. It's um, of course the Presbyterian and Methodist churches were very involved um, in in Christian missions and in some of the institutions that uh, along with you know, Anglican and Catholic churches that were involved in the stolen generations and looking at how theologians in the church now are trying to to deal with that on behalf of the churches, but also what's looking at the role of Indigenous people within the church and those who have, um, whether they've come through it through through missionaries or otherwise, those um, Indigenous people who choose to identify as Christian, how they how they um, deal with this, having these different cultures side by side. So I thought we'd play um, a, an excerpt from this year's Easter message, which, which was given by the um, the leader of the Uniting Church in Australia, Stuart McMillan, who, um, who shared this with um, an Indigenous minister, and that's um, certainly part of the, the dialogue that, and the conversation that the Uniting Church is is having um, at this time. So this is part of Stuart McMillan's in um, 2016 Easter message. This year I'm speaking to you from Icara, known to most Australians as Wilpina Pound in the Flinders Ranges National Park of South Australia. I'm on the road with Uniting Church Minister, the Reverend Denise Champion, an Ardnamata woman, the first Aboriginal woman ordained as a minister in South Australia. There are others with us on the journey, as Denise shares stories of this, her country. Somehow Jesus is present with us as we walk and break bread together. I rejoice for in the presence of my companions on the road, Jesus has been present for us all. As part of this Easter message, I'd like to ask Denise, my sister, to give a welcome to you to her country and a story of renewed hope. Nunga, hello. My dad used to say, I'm going on a journey back in my mind. My mum would always ask the question, where are you going? Then dad would begin to tell a story of journeying back home to his home country and back in time. Our ancestors' stories were passed on, stories of hope, of learning to live in peace and harmony with one another and learning to live with our environment. These stories gave us courage as we journey through this life and hope for the next. Yannickane, this Easter, I invite you with us on the journey. The Uniting Church has accepted that the Holy Spirit was present in this land, nurturing and sustaining First Peoples and revealing God to them through law, custom and ceremony before the arrival of the missionaries. Sovereignty and what that means for us as a church is an issue we're committed to exploring with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a conversation about renewed hope for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, indeed for our nation. That's why we think it's an important conversation for all Australians to engage in. 
And that was Stuart Mibbelin with the Uniting Church's Easter message for 2016. And as he said, it's time to start having a um, to start having a conversation in Australia about um, relationships with Indigenous people and reconciliation within that. Um, within Australia, and it's it's only the beginning, and it's something that as you know, we 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 think in this privilege, or at least I think that um, Australia really needs to has been taking its um, very long time coming to this, and it's so it's some it's not something that we can cover in you know even in in an hour, even if we um, you know even in a week, but it's something that we. Um, are going to be looking at in in this country for many years to come. I th- yeah, I think you're right, Claudine, and it's been a long journey. I think if I go back to when I was at primary school, we didn't do anything. We learnt the first fleet. Now, admittedly, I was at primary school in 88, which was a lot about post-colonisation Australia. It was a big to-do. So the bicentenary. Bicentenary. So we didn't... So I can't remember anything about Aboriginal history at primary school, I, uh, I then went to a fairly conservative secondary school, so we just certainly didn't do anything about that. We would have more learnt European history. But then when I went to university, I can remember my first real academic, first yeah, in an academic sense of actually learning a little bit about Aboriginal cultures and societies, which was a real eye opener for me. So it was, it's kind of that. So I think we're, as you say, we're we've started the journey, but. We've got a long, long way to go. Until, and it's quite embarrassing, I think, that neither of us really can have a great grasp of what it, of Aboriginal spirituality and cultures. We, we just don't get it. So um, Australia's on the journey, but we've got a long, long way to go. And I think it's also, I mean, for me at least, it's also um, I don't want to speak for, for um, people that I don't represent. I don't want to talk about things that I don't fully understand. Um, so it's, for me, it's... I want to learn a lot more before I feel confident to to talk about these issues. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to learn, and we're only just on the on the way. I think I know I know probably enough to know not what I don't know. I think I'm that far along the journey, so which is kind of a scary point. But um, hopefully, as as I go along in life, I'll learn more and more. You're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy ninety four point nine, and it's NADOC Week when Australians come together to celebrate and learn about Indigenous culture and history. And that song was from Little Things, Big Things Grow, written by Kev Carmody and Paul Kelly. And it was recorded by Paul Kelly and the Messengers in 1991, which is probably the more famous version. And this version by Carmody and Kelly was recorded in 1993. And it describes a strike by Gurindji workers led by Vincent Liari at Wave Hill Cattle Station in the Northern Territory, which began in 1966. The strike lasted nine years and drew the country's attention to the injustice faced by Indigenous workers. And in those nine years, the country saw the 1967 referendum which, um, in which the Australian people decided to um, acknowledge the... Um, well, Aboriginal people were given the right to vote. Was that Was that the actual question or it's... My understanding, and now I'm, I, I might be terribly wrong, so someone at home might be able to text in and correct us on this. Um, if you know the answer, do text in to 0427JOY949. But my understanding is that prior to 67, Aboriginal people were classified as 
fauna in Australia. So therefore, they were actually the equivalent of a kangaroo. Yeah. So they weren't recognised as, as people. People, and which is therefore couldn't vote or horrendous. Have um, so therefore, they wouldn't. They weren't able to vote, but they wouldn't have been able to own land. And I wonder whether they were technically owned, owned by the government, which is just uh, yeah. like by modern standards is appalling. It's it's, it's, I it's think hard it's, to imagine, but it's only fifty years ago. Yeah, um, and that's scary. Yeah. So around the same time, um, it also led to the Woodward Royal Commission into Land Rights, and the um, Gove Land Rights case, which I think basically. Um, supported the concept of terra nullius, which was yeah. finally overturned by the Marbo case in 1992. So the, the Gurindji strike ended in 1975 when the Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam, returned some of the land to the Gurindji people and sim- symbolically poured earth into Vincent Lingari's hand. And this version from Kev Carmody's album Bloodlines also features Titus on background vocals, so it all comes together. It does very nicely. But it, it's that um, gesture by Gough Whitlam is is quite. Um, it, it, it's it was a huge moment in terms of Australia starting the step to go forward in terms of looking at what we've done as a past and and, and basically the foundations of what this country is built on, which was terra nullius, and and actually saying, well, that's not an accurate view. That was. A, view, a legal concept that was constructed to enable colonisation, and and it started to that's starting to turn. And actually, for us as a nation to go, where we are, one, home to one of the old, to the oldest continuous living culture in the world, um, and it's the 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 acts of of our ancestors in the last two hundred plus years, whatever we're up to now, two hundred and twenty years, or whatever it is. That have, that almost destroyed that culture. You know, we talked a little a little while ago. We had a, a track by Archie Roach, who was a member of the Stolen Generation, and he and, and as Claudine said, he was born at Marupna. Now, for Marupna is home of the Rumbalara Mission, and if you go up to Rumbalara is 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 still exists as an organisation. If you go up to Rumbalara now, there's a a museum that talks about the history of the Rumbalara Mission and how they were camped by uh, a river. And then they they thought this is not this is not the right way to do it, and they upped camp and moved, and then the government went and built these hideous concrete boxes basically, and they waited something like seven years for a bathroom to be built. It's really quite it's it's quite confronting, and this is not that long ago. They also talk about when the Queen visited Australia. Now I believe that's in the fifties, maybe the sixties, how. They were camped along a river, which could be seen. Their camp could be seen from the road the Queen was going to go along, and so they were forcibly moved, so the Queen couldn't see this this camp. It, it's it's horrific. So you've got that sort of side of the spectrum. Whereas you have the, the my manager at my job, she grew up um, for her very formative years uh, as the daughter of a um, Wesleyan minister, working on an island off the Northern Territory coast. That community. Is so feels so enriched by what her father did that there's a street in Canberra in the part of Canberra that is named after important Aboriginal people that's called Alamore Lane and that's named after her father. So you've got both ends of the spectrum, and 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 certainly the Christian churches in in these two examples being part of that 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 journey and quite different ends of the spectrums in terms of how it's perceived by the Aboriginal people. 
Yeah, and it's certainly, um, as we said, there, there are many um, Indigenous people who who uh, have embraced um, Christianity and acknowledge that it has um, it's a it's a mixed history. It's, it's brought good things as well as bad, and so that's part of the um, their story and the story of of this country. That's right. It's it, it's a, it's part of the rich history of who we are, and and it's something that we will learn to acknowledge as we go forward. And you've been listening to the Spirit Lounge on Joy ninety four point nine. We've been talking about NADOC Week, uh, which is this week, and it's it's celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and, and giving us all an opportunity to to learn a little bit more about what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and spirituality is all about. So it's certainly a great week to get out there and. Um, find out what's out. You can jump on their website and there is some events that will be coming up and the website is www.nadoc.org.au But you've been listening to the Spirit Lounge with Mark and Claudine. First night back. So it's been great to have Claudine on board. Thank you. No Rachel this week. No Rachel this week. We'll get together all together at at some point. We will. We'll get the whole the whole of us here, here together. So thank you for joining us on the Spirit Lounge tonight. Uh, coming up, we've got the Bears in the Woods, uh, and they'll have a, a certainly a very interesting show this evening for you to listen to. But you've been listening to Claudine and Mark on, on the Spirit Lounge. And we'll be finishing off with... Um Friend of friend of joy, uh, Jessica Moorboy, who was born in Darwin of Kukuyalanji and Indonesian ancestry. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy ninety four point nine. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.